Chapter Two of *The Flint Heart* by Eden Philpotts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: The Making of the Charm. Fum had his charm shop some way from the village, and often hid himself there for days at a time, because it is no good being a man of mystery if you don't keep it up and do mysterious things. So he built a special hut down by the river Dart at a place called Postbridge, and he went there twice a week to make charms. And if there were a lot of charms on hand, and not much for the Lord Chancellor to do, and not much for the doctor, he went down to Postbridge three times a week, and hid there, and nobody was admitted except on business. All his charms were made of flint for remember always that this was the Stone Age. Fum got these flints from a long way off, and then, with an immense deal of time and patience, he hammered away at them and chipped and chipped and chipped them into arrowheads and spearheads and other useful and necessary things. But the charms that he made fetched more mutton than the other articles, and were really easier to make, too though Fum never told anybody that. On the contrary, he pretended that they were fearfully difficult, and declared that he could only make them at certain times when the Thunder Spirit was with him. People thought this was a mystery, but as a matter of fact it was merely business. Fum sat one day chipping a flint brooch for Mrs. Brokotokotik, the chief's wife, when there came to him a young warrior of the clan called Futfut. He was a tall, strong new stoner with black hair, and he wore a brown bearskin around his body and a look of great discontent upon his face. He had nothing else on at all except one heron's feather stuck behind his ear. This was not a pen, but an order or distinction, the order of the G.H.F., or gray heron feather. It was a military order, and could only be won by a soldier who had slain fifty enemies with his own hand. "'Good morning, Fum,' said Futfut. "'I know there is no admittance here except on business, but I have come on business. I want an expensive and important charm.' "'Sit down and tell me about it,' answered Fum. He dropped his tools, pushed away the brooch for Mrs. Broke, it was not going on too well, and promised to be one of his failures, got up from his work-table, which was an old tree-stump, and stretched his arms and legs. The position is this, began Futt. We can leave out the rest of his name except on state occasions. I want to know why Brokotokotik is the chieftain of this tribe. I want to know why he should lord it over a man like me. I want to know if I shouldn't make quite as good a chief as he does, and I also want to know how to set about becoming chief in his place." Oh, "'You want to know a lot of things,' answered Fum. "'I do,' admitted Futt. "'Take an instance. You remember that in the great battle with the tribe on the other side of the river I killed fourteen men and wounded ten more.' "'You did,' admitted Fum, and I proposed and seconded the vote of thanks in the House of Parliament. "'Well, you will recollect that among other rare spoils I took with my own hands, 
when the survivors of the beaten tribe ran for their lives, there were a white moleskin war waistcoat from the body of the chief, and a silver foxskin petticoat, the property of the chief's wife. Quite true. And they were the most wonderful and beautiful things in the whole lodge. And naturally I thought I ought to have the war waistcoat, and my wife ought to have the silver fox petticoat. Yet who wear them now? Mr. and Mrs. Brokotokotick wear them, answered Fum. Exactly. He took them away. He said they were his by right. He grabbed all the best things, and left me all the second best. And what I want to know is, why? Because he was the stronger. Not at all, said Phutt. I am stronger, I am younger, and my muscles are bigger. I am a G.H.F. as well as him. In the last battle he only killed seven men and a boy. That shows I'm a better warrior than Broke. A better warrior, perhaps, but not a stronger man. Your grammar is bad, too. He's harder-hearted. He's got a more powerful will. He was born to rule. You were not. If you want to be at the top of the tree in this tribe, you've got to be as hard-hearted as a wolf. That's where he beats you. You're too soft, my boy. Phutt thought about this. You're right, he said. Well, then, you know the sort of charm I must have. Give me a hard heart, Fum. The harder, the better. The man of mystery was a good deal older than Phutt, and his own heart was not very hard. It can be done, he answered, but think twice. If it can be done, do it, said Phutt. Fum shook his head. If this is done, there will be no more peace in the tribe till you have become chief. It won't take long if your charm is strong enough, answered Phutt, G.H.F. You know how hard Broke's heart is. Then you've only got to make mine twice as hard. And... But there's another side, explained Fum. It's true you'll be chief, but you'll very likely lose the affection of the tribe. Broke is the head man but he isn't the favorite man. They don't shout for him as they do for you. The children don't weave garlands of foxgloves for him as they do for you. The women don't make him slippers or necklaces of wolf's teeth as they do for you. Bah! cried Foot. Who wants the children bothering round him or necklaces of wolf's teeth? Give me my white moleskin, war waistcoat, and unlimited power. Still, Fum, who was a great lover of peace, as all the best mystery men are, tried to change Phutt's mind, but the young warrior was firm. Then the charm-maker thought of a way out of the difficulty. As a matter of fact, such a thing as you want would be frightfully expensive, he said. How much? asked Phutt. Oh, far more than you could pay. How much? repeated Phutt. It would take the chief himself to pay it, I assure you. How much? Thus driven into a corner, Fum had to answer, and he made the price ridiculously high. Thirty-two sheep and thirty-two lambs, he said. Then he heaved a sigh of relief, for he felt pretty sure that Phutt would not, even if he could, 
pay such a price as that. The other considered, and Fum tried yet again to influence him. What's the use, he continued, what's the good of a hard heart, even if you've got one? A soft heart wins much pleasanter things, and to be head of a tribe like this is not at all a pleasant thing. Look here, I'll give you a very fine charm for catching white moles, and then you'll soon be able to get your wife to make you a white moleskin war waistcoat of your own, and it will be a new one, and no doubt fit you much better than the other. But Phutt was not listening. This charm will make my heart just twice as hard as Brock's, he asked. It will, and so you'll have just twice as many difficulties as Brock and I shall be just twice as well able to tackle them. Then Phutt, who was no hand at figures, asked Fum to show him exactly how many thirty-two sheep and thirty-two lambs would be, and Fum arranged thirty-two big lumps of flint for the sheep and thirty-two little ones for the lambs. I'll call again the day after tomorrow, said Phutt, and then I'll see if I can pay you. He put all the stones into a leather bag, and went off to his flock of sheep, which lived outside the main great wall of Grimspen village, and were driven inside at night and tended by a shepherd. Then he made the shepherd drive the sheep in a row before him, and he put down a flint stone as each passed. He found, when they had all gone by, that there were no flints left. Therefore his total flock just sufficed to pay Fum for the promised charm. Phutt was well pleased at this, and, according to his promise, visited Fum again on the following day. I find, said he, that I can pay for the charm, so you may set about it. Here are your flint stones back. I have got exactly as many sheep and lambs as there are stones in this bag. Remember, said Fum, you will be left without any at all but Phutt only laughed at that. "'You're not such a very clever man as you make out, it seems to me,' he answered. "'Why, when my heart turns hard, I shall jolly soon have as many sheep as I want, and as many cows, too, not to mention as many of everything else.' "'True,' said Fum. "'I had overlooked that.' "'When shall I have the charm?' asked Phutt. "'As soon as I can make it. In a month, if all goes well.' But flint is an unkind stone. You never know if it will split right or wrong. In a month, then, I shall return, said Phutt, and on the day the charm is handed to me, my sheep shall be driven into your fold. Off he went, and Fum took a stone there and then, and began to give it a few rough preliminary blows. But at the very first stroke a remarkable thing happened. The stone broke into three pieces, and the middle piece was in the exact shape of a bright black heart with a hole in it. Of course, Fum couldn't believe his eyes, but there was no mistaking the object. He had earned thirty-two sheep and thirty-two lambs in a single blow. Still, he knew right well that such a thing had not happened by chance. He was aware that the great and powerful and much-to-be-dreaded Spirit of the Thunder had helped him. 
Now the spirit of the thunder is as mischievous and far more wicked than a schoolboy. He had played Fum some strange tricks before, and on this occasion, greatly though he loved a chop, or a nice saddle of mutton with a rowanberry jelly, yet the mystery man would gladly have given up his bargain and thrown the flint heart into the river rather than hand it to Phutt. But he dared not do any such thing, because he knew that the thunder spirit had helped him, and to have any difference with the spirit of the thunder was quite out of the question in New Stone days. The spirit of the thunder talks death and every word of his language is strong enough to burn even a mystery man. Fum remembered the last mystery man, and what became of him only too well. He was called Sminth, and he quarreled with the spirit of the thunder, and when the spirit answered back, all that was left of Sminth was a little bit of charcoal about half the size of a coconut. You see, the spirit of the thunder always will have the last word. So, taking one thing with another, Fum felt that the responsibility must rest with the spirit of the thunder, and he went to his door and called after Phutt. The whole making of the heart had occupied but one minute and thirty seconds, and Phutt was still within earshot. Therefore he heard and returned. His surprise at seeing the heart was very considerable, and he felt suspicious and inclined to doubt if Fum had fairly earned his flock. "'You may take it or leave it, and I wish you'd leave it,' said the mystery man. "'I don't want you to have it, and as sure as my name is Fum, you'll repent it.' But Phutt thought not. He and Fum took hands and walked round and round the flint heart, and Fum lifted up his light baritone voice and sang a song, and Phutt, who was a tenor, replied, also in verse, because a new stoner's bargain was always ratified in that manner. These are their words, done into modern English, and, I regret to say, quite spoiled in translation. Fum began, By the spirit of the thunder do not take this direful charm, so deadly and so dangerous, so full of hidden harm. Oh, change your mind, be good and kind, as you were wont to be. Your family, dear foot, I know, will much regret to see a husband and a father dear abandon love and rule by fear. But Phutt would not take the hint, though Fum sang beautifully, and there were tears in his voice, and even in his eyes as he danced round and round. The young warrior shook his head, cleared his throat, and answered thus, This black flint heart I welcome, it shall hang upon my vest, for stoners knew a hard flint heart, believe me, Fum, is best. A chip of night, a charm of might, to startle and surprise, to frighten men and women all, and make them rub their eyes. For Phutt shall ever reign by fear, O spirit of the thunder, hear. They danced round eighteen times, which the occasion demanded, because eighteen is the magical new stone number. Then they stopped, and Fum dried his eyes, and Phutt, stringing the flint heart on a leather bootlace, 
hung it round his neck, and went to look at himself in a pool of water. But he didn't see himself reflected there. Instead, he was rather alarmed to observe gazing up at him a dark, terrible, and wonderful phantom. This phantom was not exactly ugly. Indeed, some people might have admired it. But it was solemn and strange, and its eyes were the copper color of the sky before storm, and its hair was the lightning, twisted, tangled, tormented, over its forehead into a fury of fire. You never saw such lovely hair, all rose and blue and dazzling flame color. Phutt started back and looked aloft, and saw in the sky the amazing and terrific shape that had thrown this picture into the pool. Fum was not so much astonished, because he had met the wonder before. Look, he said, the spirit of the thunder! Hark! It speaks! Out of the darkened zenith, where the dazzling diamond-bright arch of the spirit's hair made the sunlight wan, there came a peal of many thunders. The awful music rang and rattled and roared, and the rocky hills caught the noise and flung it backwards and forwards among them. "'Now you've done it,' said Fum. "'I wouldn't be you for all the sheep on Dartmoor.' But Phutt was not alarmed after the first shock. He looked up quite calmly, and smiled and nodded. "'That's all right, Thunder Spirit,' he said. "'We're not deaf.' Of course, to be rude to the Thunder Spirit may have been rather brave of Phutt, but it was also rather foolish, and Fum felt exceedingly uneasy. He feared, indeed, that this rash young new stoner would instantly be swept away by a flash of lightning for his pains. The Thunder Spirit, however, did nothing. He had a true sense of humor, and the idea of this human atom talking to him so cheekily much amused the great being. So he broke out into a rattling peal of laughter that shook Dartmoor to the roots and knocked the upper stories off seven of the highest tors. Then he gathered his garment of sooty cloud about him, and drew the cowl of the rain over his glittering hair, and swept away in tempest and darkness. After he had gone, the sky turned blue again, but it was not nearly as blue as Fum. The man of mystery went back into his workshop and picked up Mrs. Broke's brooch, while Phutt, eager to test the power of the flint heart, made all haste to return to Grimspond. On the way he met three different beasts, and considered that this accident was a good omen. The first was a deer, and he slew it, and said, Good, I shall have the swiftness of the deer. The second was a bear, and he slew it, and said, Better, I shall have the strength of a bear. The third was a fox, and he slew it, and said, Best, I shall have the cunning of the fox. And so he came back to Grimspond. End of chapter 2